Well, I'm excited to be starting a new series today. You can kind of see the title of the series up on the screen there. It's called Rooted, Studying Colossians. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do just a little intro kind of thing and then we'll read the passage for the day. Uh, but before we dive in, um, on my way into church today, I saw Brother Sam. Uh, if you're a fifth church regular, you know who I'm talking about. We can't use his real name uh, here because we're online. Uh, Brother Sam is back from a trip to Turkey with words of hope that was a particularly exciting trip uh, because those trips, uh, typically we have a bunch of Iranian young believers who come out of Iran and meet in Turkey for the purpose of discipleship and worship together because they can't worship together uh, in any kind of large gathering back in their home country. So they're exciting in that sense. But this one was particularly exciting because it represented the first installment of seminary education being delivered to Iranian Christians through the partnership between Words of Hope and Western Theological Seminary. So uh, Brother Sam went and gathered with 18 Iranians who began their journey through a seminary education so as to give leadership to the church in Iran. Amazing, right? If that's not cool enough, after that gathering, there was a regular gathering with young believers coming out of Iran to Turkey, and there were 12 people baptized from that gathering, which is, there are always a few baptisms, but like 12 is like, sweet, Lord, this is awesome. So thank you, Lord. Um, thank you, Brother Sam, for your fine work in leading the Persian Ministry of Words of Hope and your heart for evangelism. To the scripture, Colossians. Uh, if, you're, if you're less familiar with the Bible, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote Colossians as a letter to the church in Colossae. He wrote several letters like that, and we refer to those letters as epistles. And Colossae was a city uh, in what we know today as the modern country of Turkey. You can see it there. Um, one, one historian described the city of Colossae in this way. It was neither a large nor an important city, though it had formerly been both. It had been upstaged by its nearest neighbors, Laodicea, 10 miles away, and Hierapolis, six miles beyond that. Uh, the book of Revelation in chapters two and three includes letters to the seven churches. These are the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, it doesn't even mention this city. It's, it's, it's kind of a small backwater of a town at this point. Here's what another commentator said. Colossae was the least important church to which any epistle of St. Paul was addressed. It had been at the crossing of two major roads from the whole region, but because of economics, the major north-south road was moved to pass through Laodicea instead of Colossae. So immediately the picture that came to mind for me was the Pixar movie Cars. <laughs> that came to your mind too, right? You remember Radiator Springs, <laughs> Route 66? Then they came and they built the highway and nobody ever went back to Radiator Springs. That was Colossae. And you can imagine uh, the decline, the economic pressure, just it's a has-been kind of, kind of town. Um, I, I, I also thought of the legacy cities of the Midwest. I'm from Dayton, Ohio, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. You know, towns where their, their, their high point 
was in the past, and now they're trying to recover. So that's, that's the city. And we have this little letter in our Bibles to this backwater on the decline town. So we have to ask, well, why? Because it has something very, very important. Not just for the people of Colossae, but for you and me. And I might even argue, maybe one of the most important things for us, because we engage the same problem the Colossians faced every day in our lives. But we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, let's, let's listen to the passage, shall we? Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Our reading this morning is from the book of Colossians, the first 14 verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This indeed is the word of the Lord. So it's, it's pretty clear that Paul wrote this letter to Colossians to address a problem about which he was concerned, a threat even. Um, but interestingly, Paul never refers to a particular false teacher or false teachers, nor does he describe very, very clearly just what the false teaching is. This is, this is in contrast to some of the other letters he wrote to churches where something is named, like the problem is named very specifically. So we have to kind of piece together why Paul was writing. What, what was his concern? What was he addressing? It's worth the work because this is where it applies to us. In chapter two, Paul wrote this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends 
on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That gets us pointed toward the problem. He goes on to describe the aspects of this hollow and deceptive philosophy right, throughout the rest of the letter. Interestingly, it includes what seem to be some points from Judaism, some, some Jewish elements, meaning people relying on religious stuff too much or, or the way that was taught in, in the Jewish law. It also includes some, some elements from the pagan religions of the day, uh, the worship of angels and, and, and things like that. So, so the problem seems to be that the Colossians were tempted to buy into some mashup of spiritual beliefs, like a crunching together of you know, a spiritual idea from here and there and, and over there. Now, that hits kind of close to home, doesn't it? Because that's the way things really work. I mean, we live in this confusing cultural stew where competing worldview claims are presented to us daily, and the way that they're presented is as kind of no-brainer, completely obvious truth. Like, how could you not believe this? And some of those claims are even contradictory to one another. Says Psalm 106 of God's people, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. You see, ideas and thoughts have this way of creeping into us and rising to the level of belief to the point where we actually begin to trust in that idea or thought. It's insidious. It's happening all the time and the voices are loud in our culture. So the danger is we might hear the gospel of Jesus, the good news, and either knowingly or unknowingly add stuff to it or subtract stuff from it and end up believing something that is not rooted in Jesus at all but more in the thoughts and ideas that are swirling around in the atmosphere, kind of cultural atmosphere around us. That's why Paul emphasizes the true message of the gospel. This is chapter one, verses five and six. The true message of the gospel which has come to you. Now, I kind of geeked out a little bit this week on some, some of the words in the original language here. That phrase, true message, is very interesting. The phrase true message could be literally rendered truth word, meaning a word that describes reality truthfully. Now hang with me here. A word that describes reality truthfully as opposed to the many words, many ideas thrown at us that do not describe reality truthfully. Uh, I'm, I'm going to rewind on the history of my life back to 10th grade biology class at Beaver Creek High School just outside of Dayton, Ohio. If you're of my vintage, you might remember your 10th grade public school biology book. And the, the, the framework, the word, so to speak, that was taught that described the reality of how human beings came about was that little crescendo of life, uh, the, the, the very basic evolutionary crescendo of life, you know, amoebas on this end and then a little more complex creature and a little more complex. You, some of you might have this image in your mind and then you know 
Bumba, apes, humans. And it just, and that was it. That word described the reality of how I became a human being. I didn't grow up in the church, if you, if you don't know my story. And a pivotal part of me coming to Christ had to do with that image. I was at a Bible study my senior year in college. There was a, a, a world-renowned evolutionary biologist from Harvard coming to speak at our commencement. I thought the Bible study leader was just going to shred this guy, but he didn't. Instead, he fostered this wonderful conversation about how that man, as far as I know, not a person of faith or follower of Jesus, had to grapple with the fact that that little crescendo, amoeba to human, does not match the fossil record. So in this conversation at that Bible study, I came to understand that even a secular evolutionary biologist from Harvard, and evidently, I learned, everybody else who was serious about how evolution takes place doesn't believe that little crescendo thing. I was faced with a crisis because I had been hanging on to a word that I just learned did not describe reality truthfully. So I had to ask, well, how am I here? What's going on? I'll share that whole story some other time. But, but a word. Words either describe reality truthfully or they don't. And in that sense, there's kind of no gray area, right? And Paul, Paul goes on to say to the Colossians that that word that describes reality truthfully, quote, has come to you, or literally, is present to you. Now track with me here, right? The implication is that they were passive, and that the word that describes reality truthfully had become present to them. Is this echoing for you? It's sounding a lot like Christmas, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh, and I love Eugene Peterson's rendition of this, and moved into our neighborhood. The word became present to us. The word came to us. You know, Paul went on to say to the Colossians, because of their faith and love that was generated in them, the hope that they had when they heard this true message, this word that describes reality truthfully, they had been praying for them. Since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace, right? There was a day when the true message was truly understood. This is really important too, right? The Colossians had heard this word that describes reality, the good news about Jesus, you know, stepping into our place, stepping in front of us, to take our sin upon himself such that we might be free. So our substitute, Jesus winning the victory on our behalf, you know, Christ as victor, all these images of what Jesus has done for us. 
It's good news. God has done for us something that we could never do for ourselves. See, Paul is talking about the true message of God truly understood by people. The true message truly understood. See, the problem that Paul is addressing in this letter is the power of creeping falsehood and the way in which truth and falsehood are in competition in our world. He's talking about the stew in which we live. You know, the stuff we have to discern every day because, you know, some of the voices are just whispering in our ear. Some are screaming in our faces. But it is persistent all the time, never ending. Believe this, believe that. You'll be happy if, if you buy that. Blah, blah, blah. Blah. It's everywhere. See, the world has a pattern. Actually, Eli quoted this this morning, right? Uh, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, The world has a pattern, and often that pattern tries to slip into our lives under the radar. All falsehoods are based on lies, right? We all need to be aware of the sneaky ways in which untruths try to creep into what we really believe. And speaking of the devil, Jesus said this, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So you can start to piece together and see what's actually going on on a day-to-day basis with all these falsehoods swirling around, the lies upon which they're based, the way they compete for our allegiance in our inner dialogue. I know that's true of you because it's true of me. We all experience that. Paul Paul goes on about the praying part now. For, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Let's not miss the the basic truth in that passage. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom and understanding that fills us with the knowledge of God's will. That's all God's doing. One of the roles of the Spirit. So, So much so that Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, can say, go on being filled with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. With that knowledge of God's will, we are empowered to live a life worthy of the Lord and seek to please him in every way. And it's, it's in our pursuit of God in listening and responding to him, revelation and response, right? Hearing from the Lord, uh, both uh, looking at Jesus, God's best revelation, reading scripture and listening to the spirit. These are the ways that God speaks. You know, what's the Lord saying to you? What are you gonna do about it? How's God getting your attention? When we we live in a posture of responsiveness to God's guidance by the Spirit, we begin to experience this kind of life. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Giving joyful thanks. I love that. I love that being strengthened with power according to God's might. That that strengthening is experienced as endurance giving and patience generating. Isn't God good? Anybody need endurance or patience? (laughs) Giving joyful thanks, not just giving thanks, 
giving joyful thanks because we know that our current life circumstances do not define our reality. So wherever we happen to find ourselves right now, we might not be happy with those circumstances, might not like them, it might be bringing suffering to our life, but we can have great joy in Christ because the gospel story hasn't changed. Jesus still is still alive. He's not surprised or taken aback or taken off guard. He's still the king and he's good. Joyful thanks. We give joyful thanks to the Father. The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who has qualified you if you're in Christ? God. This was another one of the words I geeked out on. Very interesting word. It's a, a verbal participle. We have, we, have, we have verbal participle. I mean, they indicate kind of timing of action. Maybe something happened in the past. Maybe something happened in the past and continues to happen in the present. You know, we have these different grammatical ways of conveying meaning. Like what, what's actually going on here? This is a very interesting uh, verbal form that does not have a direct equivalent in English. So it doesn't refer to the timing of the action. It refers to the action as a simple fact. So the simple fact for the person who is in Christ is that God has qualified you. And, and the point, I think, is that you can't get qualified in any other way. We don't qualify ourselves. The simple fact is that God qualifies you. That, that's the whole point of the gospel. You know, in Jesus Christ, God has made you qualified to stand before God, to engage in a relationship with our Heavenly Father right now, despite the depth of our brokenness. And we all are in different ways. We all had different starting points. We all progressed to a different point. I mean, it, that doesn't matter. What matters is, are you in Christ? And if you are, God has qualified you. Simple fact. I mean, we've probably all had some kind of conversation where someone begins presenting to you all of their religious credentials. You know, grandparents were missionaries, haven't missed church in 29 years. I spent 2.4 hours in every 24-hour period reading the Bible because I want to tithe the time that God has given me to reading Scripture. That was a real one, a conversation I had with a guy. Um, and in, in that conversation, I was doing the pastoral dance, not, not in Grand Rapids, let me say that. I, I was, so you don't have to wonder, was it him? Was it him? <laughs> uh, you had to, I had to do this little pastoral dance. And it's not so much a, it's a Christian dance, isn't it? With another human being. Just to say, reading the Bible for 2.4 hours a day does not qualify you to stand before God. It might be a great prayer. Maybe the Lord is calling you to that. If that's the case, do it. But don't present that to me as a qualification. Because interestingly, that plays right into the very problem Paul is addressing in the letter. That belief that I can bring with me my own qualification 
is one of the very hollow and deceptive philosophies Paul is trying to call out. Don't believe that because it's completely contrary to the gospel. That is falsehood, not truth. We don't qualify ourselves to stand before God. God qualifies us. And if you've been qualified by God in Christ, simple fact, you're qualified. Don't need to worry another thing about it. For, I'm going on here, land on the plane. For, Paul writes, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The word translated dominion is the Greek word, word exousia. It means authority, power, the right to control or govern. The sphere of jurisdiction. I love that. This is the true message we need to truly understand. Not just us, everyone, everywhere. Jesus offers rescue from the power and authority of this dark world. We need not live anymore where sin has control of our lives. We can experience a change of jurisdiction. It's been in the news recently, right? Some requests for a change of jurisdiction. No longer do we live under the control and governing of darkness because we've been transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. We live under a different jurisdiction. And not by any of our own doing because God qualifies. And that's what the letter of Colossians is about. Living under that new jurisdiction and not allowing anything or anyone to drag you back into the old jurisdiction because God has qualified you. That's what the cross is all about, right? I wanted to go back quickly to something I said last week. Last week I talked about the Jewish understanding of time uh, and a, a traditional Jewish understanding of time is that we live in the current age but that there will be an age to come and that that those ages are uh, delineated from one another by the coming of the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, the new age will begin. I think I, I shared, if you weren't here, I, I shared about a, a um, conversation I had with my uh, tour guide in Israel, a Jewish guy. And I was just asking him about you know, where does he stand with Jesus? What, how, how does he think about all this? Because he's on a Christian tour. And he said, look, I just don't believe he was the Messiah because when the Messiah comes, there will be peace. Look around the world. Is there peace? So he had in that mind, go back one, David, would you? He had in mind that. That's his framework, right? But Christians believe this. Now let's go to the next slide. That there's an overlap Nobody was expecting this. And in fact, if you, if, you, if you really do the homework on this and think about this, it, this is one of the most uh, compelling supports for the bodily resurrection of Jesus because what else would have caused Jewish people to change their view of the current age and age to come but for the bodily resurrection of Jesus in history as the Bible claims actually happened. So this is what Christians believe. There's this overlap that we continue to live in the current age, but the age to come has begun. 
And the delineations here are the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So we live, I didn't put this in here, but the age of the church is the space in between those two things. And we, we as followers of Jesus experience a very unique tension that people before the first coming of Christ didn't experience and none of us will experience after Jesus returns, which is the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. We're living in it now. It hasn't fully come, but it has begun. And yet we continue to live in this current age, which is, you know, bound by sin. So we're in this tension point and you, you, we feel it, don't we? I do. I mean, you can trust Jesus with all your heart and you realize the old, you know, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, I know the good I want to do, but I can't do it. The very, in fact, the very thing I don't want to do, I, find, I end up doing like, uh, uh, uh. but the promises in this age, God has poured out his spirit on all of his people, not just a few. We have new guidance, new, new uh, resources, new connection to the Father. So what Paul is writing about, not only in Colossians, but much of the time, is how do you live as the person you're becoming, as the person you will be when the age to come has fully come? And how do you not let anything drag you backwards? Right? And it's not, a, it's not a moral, ethical checklist, a to-do list. It's more about pursuing God, uh, seeking the Lord, seeking to be filled with the Spirit in such a way that we're so full of the spirit it almost like presses everything else out because you'll never we do not believe in a gospel of sin avoidance that's not the gospel we, we should not sin that's true but you won't gain spiritual ground in your life by trying really hard to be better or to not be bad you'll gain ground when you go deep with Jesus and grow in Christ right? and Christ grows in you and pushes other stuff out. That's how this works. So, Paul, in the middle of this letter to Colossians, wrote this. We'll read this at the end of every message in this series. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted and built up in him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the power and presence of your spirit with us. We want more of you. Lord, please, wherever we're uh, becoming our own worst enemies. Please help us. Uh, help us look to you. Help us rely not on our own understanding, but turn to you to trust in you. Wherever we are in the journey of faith, God, meet us there and draw us to you. Help us to trust you. Tear down the barriers, the things that are trying to get in our way. Show us uh, the small or maybe big lies upon which those barriers are based and help us receive truly the true message, the word that describes reality truthfully, not an idea but a person, you, Lord Jesus. 
Help us receive you. We ask in your name. Amen.